Okay, let's turn to Colossians chapter 4. We, uh, we're coming to the end of um, this series. Hang on, let me get situated up here. If you have a house Bible and you get to Colossians 4, shout out a page number. 818, love that, that was strong and quick. You know, last week we started our first Sunday night here uh, at West End. We're here for the summer. And uh, we talked about uh, dry bones and how the Lord loves to walk among dry bones and he loves to, uh, to begin to stir. And as a community this summer, we should listen to the rattling of the bones as God is bringing things to life. And uh, so it's appropriate that we talk about now, what does that look like when God begins to bring dry bones to life? What's it going to look like this summer if God is rattling the bones of this community to bring us to life? So in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, maybe I should get there. We continue our series. Since I'm not there yet, somebody want to stand up and read it? Who's going to do it? I'm there, but still, somebody now needs to read. Hang on, wait. Thank you, brother. You're awesome, but you don't know what you're reading, all right? Start with verse 2, all right? And let's go through, how about verse 6? Okay, so Paul starts the end of this book in chapter 4 by asking for prayer. But he says to these people, to be three things in your prayer life, devoted, uh, watchful, and thankful. And wouldn't it be remarkable if God birthed that in our community this summer? That at the end of this summer, we could look around and say, you know, I don't know what Midtown is. It's a mess sometimes. But I'll tell you what it is. Uh, it is a community that is devoted to prayer, that is watchful in prayer, and very thankful in prayer. Would that get you excited? When you're in church, you're supposed to answer yes to that. You know, it really is funny, though, when you think about, uh, about prayer. Because, uh, you know, when you talk about prayer, it's kind of one of those things where it's just not real sexy, is it? I mean, it's not, it's not the kind of thing that you're like, man, how, how's life going? Well, dude, I'm just working on my prayer life. It's just hard to get excited about that because many of us, when it comes to talking about prayer, it's more associated with shame and guilt because it's so full of ought to's and shoulds. shoulds. Put on the screen. I think Kevin found some pictures this week that, uh, that, that, wait, go back. Go back to that one. That right there. That, real, that glass monument, we're going to build that, all right? The power of prayer. And I don't know what's all with these hands, but there you go. European Jesus. I like that, all right? You'll get that in a minute, trust me, all right? All right, thank you. <laughs> yeah, more hands, all right? 
So y'all have seen that before, I'm sure. All right. So what's up with this prayer thing? You know, how should we approach it? I was reading an article the other day that um, Howard Stern uh, prays every day in his limo ride from his house to his radio station. He calls it meditation. Uh, and he says that it, it gives him, you know, it invigorates him. It, it causes him to center himself. He feels that it, it helps him in his relationships. Um, so is that our goal this summer, that we would begin to pray and become more like Howard Stern? Awesome. Or you may have a history with prayer where it's more of a religious history, where your idea of prayer is praying in those moments where you feel like it's going to give you an edge, where somehow or another if you pray like right before a test or right before a date or right before a big deal or something like that, somehow this invokes the power of God and his presence into what's going on. And so it's going to give you that edge up or that advantage. Is that what prayer is? Well, let me, let me state a couple of things that I want us to know about prayer. Number one, prayer is a benefit of the gospel. And we talk about that a lot about the gospel of Jesus Christ, that what Christ did on the cross, when he went to the cross and he purchased me, he did away with all my sins, he paid for my sins and wiped them away and brought me from death to life, and he created in me a new man, the old is gone, the new has come, that in this new man and this new world and this new air that I breathe as a Christ follower, prayer is one of the benefits or one of the blessings of being a recipient of the gospel. In other words, if you're not a Christian here tonight, it's going to be really hard for you to connect with what we're talking about because when we talk about prayer, we're talking about the language of those that have been redeemed from the lost to being found, to not being in the family, to be brought into the family, to the broken, to those that have been healed and called a new name, sons and daughters. And prayer is a benefit of that. In Hebrews chapter 4, this is in verse 14, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest, and this is Jesus, who's gone through the heavens, Jesus, son, son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one that's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Maybe you've read the story that when Christ died on the cross, the curtain that separated us from the holies of holies in the temple that was torn down the middle. So now there's nothing that separates us now. Christ has brought us in to the very presence of God. So as those that have been redeemed by what Christ has done on the cross, prayer is now we have access to the throne. Yay. We get to pray. It kind of sounds like, you know, when you were little and you didn't want to go to school and your mom said, there are children all over the world that don't have a school to go to. You should be thankful. Okay. Well, it gets better. Because what I want to talk about tonight is I want to talk about what this whole prayer thing is all about and why it should be something that's woven into the very fabric of our lives. The second thing I want you to know about prayer in Romans 8, 26, it says the Holy Spirit is interceding for us with groans too deep for words. Now, I want you to grasp this. The Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, is interceding for you right now. 
Really? It gets better. Romans 8, 34, it says, Christ is also interceding for us before the throne. So you have this picture. The Holy Spirit is interceding for you. Christ is interceding for you. Christ is before the throne of the Father praying for you. And so you see this picture of the Holy Spirit, the Son, and the Father in this prayer service where they are praying for you. And what is prayer? Prayer is being invited into the divine. Prayer is being invited into the work of the Trinity. Imagine that. That we're getting called and invited up. In, Rome, in Revelations chapter 3, Jesus says, he's talking to the church, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Prayer is an invitation. So when I pray, I am responding to an internal work that's working through me that's going on to heaven, and I'm responding to that invitation. Now, some of you know my wife. She's here somewhere. She has diabetes. I think most of you know that. And so she was diagnosed how many years ago? Five years. It's been that long. Wow. So five years ago, type 1 diabetes. And uh, it's a crazy thing because she's bounced from doctor to doctor. And the doctor she has now, she went to go visit him. And uh, that sounds funny, doesn't it? We paid him to be our doctor. We didn't visit him. Okay, but we went to the doctor. And she came home. And later that week, and this guy is, he leads his field in the world of diabetes research. Phenomenal doctor. Blew us away with him. Later that week, we get a phone call from that doctor. He says, hey, I'm just checking in on you. I was thinking about your case, and I was just wondering. I thought I'd ask you this question. And we were just blown away that this doctor would do this. Take the time to call a brand new patient and say, hey, I was just thinking about you, and I was thinking about your case, and can we talk about this for a few minutes? Of course we can talk about this for a few minutes. We were blown away by that. Now imagine that the God of the universe is giving us that same invitation to come into a place called prayer where the Holy Spirit is praying and Christ is praying for us. Okay, maybe you've heard that before. Well, let me make it a little bit more personal. I'm praying about this sermon this week. And I can tell you something that teaching on prayer sometimes, it's... I, I kind of feel like sometimes I'm trying to get my kids to eat vegetables, you know, when I'm not sure I like vegetables, you know, that, yeah, you eat the broccoli, and here, eat mine too, you know. <laughs> Prayer's a hard thing, I mean, it's, it's, it's just one of those things, you're like, ah, oh, crud, you know, we're going to leave feeling so guilty, and, and so I'm praying about this, and Friday morning, uh, the Lord just woke me up at 4.30 in the morning and said, get out of bed, we need to talk. Now, I don't know if that happens to you, but when it happens to me, I'm like, yes, sir, and I roll over and go back to sleep. So it really woke me up, and he says, literally said, this is what I want you to give Midtown on Sunday, Sunday night. So you ready? Let's go to Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is a prayer, and it's a prayer that uh, is written by King David. And let's just uh, start with this, because what we're talking about is, why should you pray? Why should that be something that you would even remotely be interested in going on a journey with us this summer about? 
Well, the first thing that I want you to understand when he says in Psalm 139, well, let's read it, verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, get this, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before, and you have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. You know, the first thing that I want us to see in this psalm right here is David is saying, you know me. You know me. You know everything there is, there is to know about me. Later in this passage, he talks about, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Before creation, you knew me. God knows everything about me. Now, why is that important? I mean, if you're like me, you've spent some of your life, maybe a lot of your life, trying to figure out who you are. Maybe you're still trying to figure out who you are. Have you ever taken a personality test? There's tons of them. There's the Big Five. There's the DISC. There's the Myers-Briggs. Have any of y'all ever taken any of these? You know, I was Googling some of these this week, and I even found a test that said, uh, what dog breed are you? Understand your true personality by finding out what dog breed you are. It's true. We're all mutts at heart, of course, but this is potastic. This test is a way of determining whether your personality makes you more like a hard-working border collie or a low-key bulldog. That we're in a search. We're in a search of understanding who we are. What do I do with my life? What are my gifts? Why am I here? Who am I? That's why I think I love that scene in Gladiator where the emperor, you know, sees Maximus and he's just uh, beat up a bunch of people. That's the G-rated. And uh, Gladiator, tell us your name. You know, and he answers, I am Gladiator. And then he says, you know, tell me your real name. And what does he say? I am Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the north, general of the Felix Legion, loyal servant to the true emperor Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. Because he knows who he is. And because he knows who he is, he can wear the clothes of a gladiator and it doesn't change who he is and it doesn't change what his purpose is. And if he can't have his vengeance in this life, he will have it in the next. Because his identity and what he's called to do will not change even if he dies. I think that's why I go... Just to think about that. Because I have discovered... Maybe you've discovered everything we do in our lives flows out of who we understand ourselves to be. From the darkest deeds that I perform that I don't want anybody to know about to the most glorious success that the world applauds, all of it flows out of what I believe myself to be. And here's the first thing I want you to know. When we come to God, God knows me. And God wants me to know me. Let's go to verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? 
Where can I flee your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light becomes night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. What does that mean? That my mic keeps bumping. He not only knows me, he knows everything that's going on in my life. He knows it all. There is nothing hidden from him. He's not confused about what's happening in your life. He knows every glorious detail. Have you ever been in a situation where you've asked, how did this happen? Maybe you're in that situation right now. How did I get in this place? Or what's going on? I'm confused. Have you ever said somebody ask you, okay, so you're miserable, what do you want? And you've answered, I don't know. Have you ever been so confused about your circumstances and so confused about how you got in your circumstances and so confused about how to get out of your circumstances that it even confuses what you want out of the circumstance? Wow, that was confusing, wasn't it? Maybe that was clear, though. Have you ever wished that just someone knew what I was going through? Well, God does. Not only does God know me, but he knows everything that has happened to me and everything that's happening around me. And guess what? He understands them with such clarity that nothing confuses him. Let's keep reading. Verse 17, it says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Okay. What is he saying there? Well, okay, this circle, let's just call this all. He's saying that God knows everything. He's omniscient. There is nothing outside of his knowledge. Not only does he clearly see me, not only does he clearly see my life, but he sees everything, every bit of it. Hmm. Everything about relationships, he knows. Everything about science, he knows. Everything about business, he knows. Everything about leadership, he knows. Everything about being single, he knows. Everything about everything that you're going through, he knows. He knows it all. And here's what's remarkable about that. When I pray, okay, I am being invited into the divine. When I pray, I'm being invited into this divine unbelievable conversation in this conversation where the ones that are speaking they know me and they understand completely what's going on and they have all knowledge and they're inviting us into that so how does that change us well let's think about this for a minute if i'm stepping stepping into the mystery and the wonder of the one who knows me knows my life and knows everything there is to know it really changes the way that we even see our lives 
there's a scene in Acts chapter 27 where Paul is on a boat uh, with a bunch of prisoners and a bunch of soldiers, and they've been in a storm for weeks, and they haven't eaten, and it looks pretty much like this ship is going down. This is a shipwreck that it doesn't look like anybody's going to survive it, and Paul keeps telling them that through prayer, he's seen that the Lord is going to take them out of this. But they're all freaking out, and they're like, we're going to die, we're going to die, we're going to die. And Paul says, let's stop for a minute. And he, now imagine this, okay? You got this picture that it's raining, the boat's tipping, everything's falling apart, and they're all looking at each other saying, we are about to die. And Paul breaks bread because he wants them to eat and gives thanks. Gives thanks. Gives thanks in a situation that everybody on the boat is freaking out in. How can he do that? Hmm. Is it possible that through prayer we begin to see something other than ourselves? And then finally, look at Psalm 139, verse 23. Because of all this, David said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Here's what's remarkable. When I step into prayer, it not only heals my understanding of myself, It not only heals my understanding of the situations that I'm facing, it also heals my emotions. It also calls for my emotions, my anxieties, my worries, to yield itself to something that's greater than what I'm worrying about. It's an interesting thing about worry. I was reading some research this week, and it was talking about that the things that we worry about, the things that we have anxiety about, that 40% of the things that we worry about are things that will never happen. 40%. 30% of the things that we worry about are about the past that we can't change. 12% of the things that we worry about are about criticisms that others say about us that are mostly untrue. 10% of the things that we worry about are about our health, which gets worse the more that we worry. And 8% of the things that we worry about are about real problems that we face. 8%. (laughs) Here is the uh, quote from uh, Dr. Stanley Jones, who works with John Hopkins University. And he's talking about worry and stress, and he's talking about anxiety. And he says, I'm inwardly fashioned for faith, not fear. Fear is not my native land. Faith is. I am so made that worry and anxiety are sands in the machinery of my life. Faith is the oil. I live better by faith and confidence than by fear, doubt, and anxiety. In anxiety and worry, my being is grasping for breath. They are not my native air. But in faith and confidence, I breathe freely. These are my native air. At John Hopkins University, he said, We do not know why it is that worriers die sooner than non-worriers, but that is a fact. <laughs> but I, who am simple of mind, think I know. We are inwardly constructed in nerve and tissue, brain cells and souls for faith and not for fear. God made us that way. So what is prayer? Or better yet, why should we pray? When we pray... And we're stepping in to the divine conversation. I don't know if you're grasping. I know it's warm in here. uh, But I hope that you're grasping what David is telling us in Psalm 139. Do you dare 
Do you dare to step into the divine conversation? Do you dare to participate in the divine when it comes to you understanding yourself, your life, and the world that God has made? Do you dare to let your own emotions, your anxiety and your worry, when you call it to bend a knee to this, when you say to your worry, you must yield yourself to this truth. Prayer brings us into that. And then finally, prayer has power. It not only brings me into the divine conversation, but in some radical way, God has said your prayers have power. In James chapter 5, it talks about that. It talks about the prayers of a righteous man and a righteous woman are powerful. You know, this last summer, uh, Zach and I, my oldest son, we went to Chicago to hang out for a couple of days. And I told him, I said, Zach, <clears throat> uh, I want to show you Chicago. It's one of my favorite towns. You're going to love this. Uh, we're going to go to baseball games. But first, you need to see the city. And he goes, great. And I said, but I hate walking. And we're not going to get in a cab. So we went down to uh, the pier, and we rented Segways. Have you ever seen these segways? They're the two-wheeler jobbers. And so they came out with a helmet and the vest and the, the, all the stuff you had to wear. And Zach's going, oh, gee. We have to wear those things? We get on these segways, and uh, we're all goofy. And I was going to show you a picture, and I couldn't find one because I was going to completely embarrass Zach. But, uh, you know, so we're all in reflective vest, and uh, we're racing segways down the streets of Chicago and trying to run each other off the road. And it was really kind of fun. And what's remarkable is the only time we wrecked is when we actually ran into each other. Uh, because they're remarkably easy. Have you ever been on one where you, go, you lean forward and they go? You lean back and they stop. There it is. They are incredibly simple. But what's remarkable is if you begin to read about the technology inside the Segway. That it's a gyroscope that's actually calculating your weight about a thousand times a second. And it's adjusting its position based on where your weight is. You're like, what, how, how, I don't understand that. But it didn't stop me from jumping on that Segway and trying to run my son off the road into traffic in Chicago. <laughs> uh, you know, because we went through the beach, we went through the sand. They don't go really good in the sand. I don't recommend it. I think they tell you not to. But we did not stop having fun because we wanted to enjoy all the benefits of a technology that we didn't understand. And let me tell you something about the power of prayer. You're, it's a mystery. How does a sovereign God respond to the prayers of his people that are not sovereign? I can only tell you that in his sovereignty, he is ordained to work through your prayers. So not only is prayer bringing me into the divine so that I can see me for the first time, so that I can understand and have clarity about my life and the world that I live in and this God who is bringing revelation of himself to me. But he also says when we do that, he brings us into a circle of power that he gives to us. That's kind of remarkable. If that's true, then why don't we pray? Well, I can't answer that for you. All I can say is that I'm asking you tonight to consider something. I'm asking you to consider to go on a journey with us this summer. This summer, we're going to unpack what does the life of being devoted and watchful and thankful, what does that look like? Like, how do we pray? What, what does it look like in our community? What does it look like you individually? When Paul says, pray without ceasing, what does that mean? Like, how do we actually walk into the mystery of all of this? where Christ is bringing revelation of himself to us. 
I'm going to ask you, but I'm going to warn you too. I'm going to warn you that if you dare to step into this journey of saying, I'm going to let my life be formed by understanding how to step into this journey of the divine, God is going to wake you up in the middle of the night. I promise you, you, you're going to lose sleep. He's going to wreck you. You're going to find yourself in conversations with the divine, and they don't operate on your schedule. Let me put it a little bit more profoundly. This is from an article that was written uh, by Virginia Owens. She says, this is no cosmic teddy bear we're cuddling up to. As one of the children describes him in the C.S. Lewis Chronicles of Narnia, he's not a tame lion. Consider Moses again and again intervening between the Israelites and God's wrath. Think about Abraham. He prayed for Sodom. The widow demanded justice of the unjust judge. But in the combat with God, there was caution. You must be ready to bear the consequences. Jacob's thigh was put out of joint, and he went away lame. However, the most unusual experience will be God's decision to put to work the person who cries out to him. That God would move in your life and that he would call you to the very thing that he created you for. Whoever wrestles with God in prayer puts his whole life at stake. If you didn't get that, listen to what she says. Awful things happen to people who pray. That's awesome, isn't it? Woo, let's go. Their plans are frequently disrupted. They end up in strange places. Abraham went out not knowing where he was going to go. And think about Mary, that after her prayer, she finds herself the pariah of Nazarene society. If we dare to to draw near the divine, I can promise you what's going to happen. You are going to lose you. Because Christ says, take up your cross and follow me but he will take us to something that's more wondrous than we could ever comprehend if we stay on this side of the unnatural life of a believer and cling to this world. So I want you to seriously think about it this week. And when we come back together next week, we're going to talk about what does that look like to be devoted, to be watchful and thankful. But I'm seriously asking you, would you consider that? Are you ready for that? Would you like to go on that journey this summer? Would you dare to say to the Lord, yeah, Lord, where we're going, I'm in. And we want to see your power. We want to see your revelation. We want to know you. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for all the disruptions. Because in your divine hand, this is your church, and you decided that we needed a bunch of interruptions tonight. And I just thank you for that. Because I thank you that you're present that you go before us, you come behind us, and your hand is heavy upon us tonight. And I pray that, Lord, uh, whatever you're speaking to each individual in this room right now, that, Lord, uh, you would not let them shake it. That, Lord, you would not only speak to us, but you would reinforce it and call us to this beautiful place of experiencing your divine nature. As Peter said, participating with the divine. And that we would dare to be people that go on this journey to understand, but also to live in the wonder of it all. Lead us in that, we pray, Father. In Christ's name, amen.